look of a Dodge Challenger. And of course, we have America's number one minivans, the Chrysler Town & Country and Grand Caravan. Best of all, we have some great deals like a brand new 2015 Jeep Patriot for under $14.5, but only while they last. Put the fun back into driving and discover the hottest vehicles at Mid-State Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, halfway between Barry and Montpelier on Route 302. time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Thank you, Jim Connie. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. We all made it to the end of the week here. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Coming up on the program, just a moment here, we're going to have a chat with an interesting fellow who's going to encourage all of you, particularly you millennials out there, to uh, pursue a compassionate career. We'll be taking your phone calls throughout this morning, and you can join us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines. Those would be 877-291-8255. Much to uh, discuss after we chat with our guests this morning as well. number of uh, stories, including the uh, big oil spill out in Santa Barbara. Uh, also, we can talk a little bit about Senator Bernie Sanders and his run for president. Whatever you want to chat about today, we would welcome your calls at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Let's uh, welcome to the program a nice warm radio from out. Welcome on a Friday here to Jeff Pryor, who's one of the co-authors of Compassionate Careers, Making a Living by Making a Difference. As I mentioned, this book is largely targeted towards the millennial generation, which the authors say that's because they will be the first group of people that will actually have the tools and breadth of knowledge to fix the many global challenges they've inherited. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. So your um, interest in compassionate careers goes way back and actually began back in third grade when you wanted to hold hands with the nicest girl in the class. Who uh, was Joyce Kobayashi? Well, she actually pulled me out of uh, you know, being in the principal's office all the time because I was um, forced to sit next to her in class as a way to help me learn how to behave. And uh, not only did I learn how to behave, and probably the pinnacle year of my education was third grade, but Joyce uh, got me involved in raising money for UNICEF, and I resisted, didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to go trick-or-treating for candy. She wanted us to go trick-or-treating for UNICEF, and I I um, fell prey to her and ended up going trick-or-treating for UNICEF, and uh, that started me off on a long career. So uh -huh. Joyce... Uh, um, Joyce was the person behind it all. Okay. Tell me you've been married now 45 years or something. <laughs> well, uh, no. I, I wish uh, no, that that didn't happen, but uh, we are still friends. Oh, is that right? Are you real? You're kidding me. No, no, not at all. Wow, that's incredible. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about the purpose of this book here. As I mentioned, you're really targeting this towards the millennial generation. And is that because of all the problems that we've created for them? 
Well, in large part, it's because they are a huge um, demographic. Uh, the boomers are uh, re- are coming to 65 at 10,000 people a day and working in nonprofits and foundations and cause organizations. A lot of the people are going to be moving out in the next five years. 50% of the nonprofits in the United States, which there are millions, are hiring. And the jobs are, we really need to attract uh, a new face into uh, civil society organizations. That was our initial challenge from Desmond Tutu. Uh, He said if we didn't refresh the face of civil society, we wouldn't have civil society. He did play a big role in you writing this book. Talk about that. Well, he is such an inspiration. He realized that uh, civil society is a vague notion. Um, I view that it's almost like bees. We kind of take it for granted that they're doing the work. But in the backdrop of every community in the United States is this nonprofit uh, array. And all of us benefit from it, but many of us don't have a clue how big it is, how substantial the contribution is, and how many jobs there are. And so Tutu understands that, and he's specifically been out helping to recruit young people into um, what will help the world be more sane, more safe, more livable. And uh, so he helped to uh, encourage us and wrote the foreword for the book. So why, why do people have to pursue a compassionate career? Well, 81% of um, young people view it's their duty to add value to the world. Um, and that's their term, duty. Um, but that reflects a uh, long tradition. Ben Franklin, he studied the Iroquois Nation, realized that people there were expected to participate in the community, and he started the first two nonprofits, the Library Guild and the Volunteer Fire Department. He felt that it was just essential that everybody roll up their sleeves and get involved, and not just as volunteers, but as social entrepreneurs. So when we think about it, nonprofits are just businesses. They happen to represent 10% of the workforce. Um, And so oftentimes people don't realize that it is an industry Um, and you know or if they realize it they oftentimes only cue off of the negative things like New York Times article the other day national news about uh, these uh, two uh, organizations that were ripping off uh, people by using cancer as a way to raise money so there are some nasty operations in the nonprofit world but they're rare most of most absolute vast majority are uh, really um, high quality operations that are employing people offering great jobs and that's what we don't uh, see young people understanding jeff Pryor is one of the co-authors of compassionate careers making a living by making a difference you can join us at 244-1777 toll-free 877-291-8255 speaking of ben franklin and the firefighters at one point you were named the Volunteer Firefighter of the Year in uh, Colorado. So tell me, why do you think they picked you for that? Um, you know, actually, I did more behind the scenes um, in the fire department than I did on the front line. So I really helped the organizational structure uh, with uh, you know finance and better governance and kind of the 
boring things, but uh, they're critical to you know, kind of helping the front structure work. So, yeah, I was on the front line as well, but I probably got uh, uh, recognized because uh, I was willing to work on the on the organizational side of the thing. Hmm. Why do people need to be encouraged to go into a compassionate career? Why why aren't we just sort of naturally, by gravity, falling in that direction? Well, there's three barriers. One is the idea that we are not going to get paid, uh, that there's no money in it. And uh, barring the corrupt people uh, that I just mentioned, most people make a pretty decent living. They're not going to get rich, but they're not also not going to be in poverty working in nonprofits, but there's a perception that it's all volunteer or you sacrifice uh, your earning potential. And unless you're going to go to Wall Street or corporate big rig, you know, the compensations are not bad. The second factor is families or other pressures say there's not enough status there. So if you come to the United States, your first generation to go to school, and you tell your family that you're interested in going into a nonprofit, Oftentimes they'll go, what, you're going to waste your education on a charity? And so we see that there's a barrier, not only with immigrant families, but all families. But it's pretty uh, deliberate that, uh, you know, the expectations of family and friends relative to what's acceptable and what's a real job. And then the third barrier is whether or not a job in a nonprofit is portable. And can you take what you learn there if you decide to move into government or into business, uh, you know, can you be successful? Well, they recognize that. And we've seen that all three of those factors can be absolutely dealt with. The jobs can pay well. The status can be uh, a, um, equivalent to many other professions in terms of uh, the quality of the experience and what it means. And third is that, uh, you know, absolutely, the aspects are portable. One young engineer we interviewed said it was the best education that he had was to work in a nonprofit before he went into a regular civil engineering firm because he learned how to work with people in distressed situations cross-culturally and entrepreneurially, and he felt it prepared him for the globe. So that's the kind of experience that we're trying to say is that nonprofits are just as robust and vibrant as any other sector. Um, and it's just that um, most young people have no clue about the depth and the breadth. You've, um, you were involved with management psychology at one point, so I'm sort of curious, this middle one that you talk about, how nonprofits are viewed as being less, uh, less status, less, um, less valued. Where, where is that coming from? Well, I, you know, my speculation is that we have an orientation to the metric of money not to the metric of meaning. And so the life of, you know, we kind of go through life um, hoping that our life counts for something. And we've heard two things from many, we've interviewed 300 people, surveyed thousands, and we hear two things that are consistent across the globe. One is, I don't know if I want to wake up every day and go to work to make one other person richer versus I want to go to work and have it count for something. So we hear that, and we also hear at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I want my life to count for something. I want to have something, an issue, a cause, and a factor be better. And I want to be able to look in the mirror 
and know that I've made a difference. And so we view that there is that quality of advantage. And not to deny that commercial aspects are important. I buy, I shop, I live the benefit of a capitalistic structure. You know, I, I get caught in stores all the time. I was in REI yesterday, and I, I love REI. I'd love to buy stuff, you know, for hiking and that kind of thing. So I'm not ever going to dismiss the value of the commercial base, but I also want a community that has quality people working in it that are dealing with hum, human aspects, arts, environment. I just think it's critical. And I also like it when we have a great debate about things, um, the notion of what's right and wrong in society. And the nonprofits have largely been the conscious of how our society works. It's the one that says, hey, it's not right to do certain things like drug trafficking or sex trafficking or factors of discrimination. Oftentimes, that, is, that field is the one that um, really is the standard bearer for uh, overall what's happening. There was a woman who called on this program a couple of months ago talking about nonprofits and said that what she had learned in college was to find a um, find uh, an idea that you had and then start a nonprofit and go and get get some grants and and basically kind of have fun. Could you respond to that? Well. It is a predilection of millennials to start their own. And it's not unlike um, kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of the United States. Um, why do we have so dang many coffee companies? Because, you know, one Folgers and Hills Brothers were coffee, and, you know, that should have sufficed. But, no, we, we wanted choice. We wanted to have a variety. And that, that same thing exists within the nonprofit world. Sometimes it doesn't make sense because... There's lack of efficiency. So whether or not we need 20 different kinds of organizations serving youth in the same community, that's a little bit crazy. So there's this balance that should the reasonableness in the number and the opportunity for new things to be created. So when the Fullers sat around years ago and dreamed up Habitat, were houses being built? Yeah. Uh, were enough being built for affordable housing? No. And so when they created Habitat, I mean, they started something new. And who are the new followers? Who is the next Jane Goodall? So our sense is, heck yeah, bring in them, but have them do a good business plan so they're understanding who else is out there and should they join in with those before they go out and start their own. Mm -hmm. Another factor that young people are really driven by is social entrepreneurialism. So the whole social enterprise, which is that it's not purely charity, that um, the majority of nonprofits generate some kind of revenue through ticket sales or they're, they're doing something that has a value, and you're starting to see more and more of those. A classic example in Colorado is the Women's Bean Project. It, women make bean soup mixes and a whole variety of food items um, and they come out of poverty or out of prison into this organization that uses soup that they sell as a means to train these women on uh, career development and helping them get jobs. And so uh, over half of the money that they generate uh, for their organization 
um, is, is from an enterprise. And that is very, very popular with younger people. Going to business school, going to you know, getting a master's in public administration or, um, high, or college level students, this is an area in which they're saying, yeah, I want to I get involved in, in something that has, you know, the factor of generating money and, and being clever and creative and, and being a cool job as well. We're talking with author Jeff Pryor about his uh, book that he was one of the co-authors of about compassionate careers. Do younger people view nonprofit and these compassionate careers differently than older people? Do they are they do they have that same kind of stigma? Uh, no. Well, yes and no. Uh, yes, in that uh, you know, only four percent of the time in our surveys did career counselors mention them. You look at many career, um, you know, kind of the fill out the sheet of what your interests are. Nonprofits don't occur as a subsector, as an industry, um, and and so the idea. And again, in our surveys, twenty five percent of young people couldn't name a single nonprofit in their community. Yet a hundred percent of them knew who Kim Kardashian was. So it's a matter that the nonprofit community could do a better job of telling its story and getting out there and actually uh, creating those relationships. So it's not only on young people to take nonprofits to be better talent ready for the future. And it's not non our young people alone. We, we found that uh, our work has resonated. We had a 90-year-old pick up our book, and we have third graders reading our book. And so it's it's not specific, but in essence, our notion is the practicality that the nonprofit sector is vital, it's necessary, and it needs to be attentive to the future. And the group that we really think does it great is sport. Sports has a multi-generational approach, mm-hmm. and they are always looking back 10 years to say what's coming up, you know, what's coming at us, and how can we be better prepared so if we could ever be even close to sports and the recruitment for uh, huh. new talent, uh, I think we'd do a lot better job. So how are you supposed to figure out what your compassionate career is going to be? Well, we think there's two sides to it. The first is, what do you really care about? And we think you're kind of dead if you don't care about something. Uh, you should care about something, but find out what that passion is. And people can smorgasbord it and check things out, but the idea that says, what is it that is of urgency or of interest, and people can discover that, and, and it's not only uh, humanitarian factors, animal welfare and arts and environment, it really runs, so the, check your soul, check your heart, check what it really drives you in terms of interest. The second is the notion that says, um, you know, what... Uh, what kind of organization do I want to get involved in? Do I want to be in a startup? Do I want to be in a, in a really well-established organization that, you know, it's big um, and it's got benefits and, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of more of a, a, an industry. And so the notion of saying I want to be as deliberate about picking the cause as I am as deliberate about picking the right organization and we find it doesn't matter whether it's nonprofit or not. We work a lot with high school and college students and realize that they're really looking for the job and they don't do their homework as much as they could on the organization that they're getting involved in.
Mm. We we have strategies and approaches and resources in the book that help them figure out how do I pick the right organization? Because if they don't, they're unlikely to find it being fulfilling. And that doesn't matter if it's business, government, or a nonprofit. We have a free assessment that's in the book that helps them strategize about the right culture fit within an organization. Mm. So what are the mistakes people make on that? Well, uh, we did a um, kind of tongue-in-cheek research project as a part of this called Jobs That Suck. And we interviewed people about the worst jobs they ever had. It wasn't specific to nonprofits. It just was the worst job. And people just said the worst was when I didn't get along with my coworkers or I had a supervisor that... Wow, they just kind of suck the bone marrow out of me. <laughs> and so the notion of saying, can you calculate that before you get in? Yeah. And our sense is, can you say, find out about an organization that says, will they help me in my career? Are people that tra- are transitioning out and going to the next place saying, wow, that was a terrific place to work. I just needed to move on. And we know that there's ways you can find that out. This this idea though of the paid isn't isn't less. You know, I'm just having a little difficulty with that. It just sounds to me every time I talk to people in the nonprofit world, they they are making less than what they could make in the for profit world. Well, that's you know you hear that a lot, but when we do the absolute salary analysis, it isn't um, that different. I mean, so the notion that says what is it that people need to make in order to pay their mortgage and their college debt and, you know, have a life. You know, the idea that there are some front-end jobs in the nonprofit world that don't pay well, but they're also, you find that in business and and in government as well. Government typically pays higher at the front-end than uh, than a nonprofit will. But, uh, you know, nonprofits are, are, by and large, uh, nonprofits... um, into that corner in which they're, you know, in truth, the salaries aren't as bad as they get reported to be. Now, half of nonprofit jobs are in health, and the health arena, going to a hospital, a nonprofit hospital, and their job um, structures are going to pay equivalent to their for profit because they're in a competitive market. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, so, you know, it depends on the industry too. Early mm-hmm. childhood. What I can't fathom it, why we are willing to send our children to schools that underpay. You can make more money at Walmart than you can working in early childhood. Yeah. And I just think it's kind of a tragedy that there are subsectors and nonprofits that don't pay as well as they should. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you, you know the math. I mean, on the other end of it, parents paying it can't really afford much more than what they're paying either. Right, but, you know, part of it is the creative structure around what the regulatory factors override it and the like. And when we have a will as a, as a nation, we can solve problems. An example is all the charity and philanthropy and outpouring that occurred in 10 days after Haiti occurred yep. set a world record. But in the same time period, Avatar the movie came out, and that outpaced all the charity in the world. One movie... Um, did more than, uh, than, you know, everybody contributing to Haiti. It was just unbelievable to me that we, you know, we dig deep, but we don't dig very deep. Mm-hmm. 
So where do you start if you're a millennial or, or and I mean, you're talking about other people too, right? I mean, not, you could. Oh yeah. In fact, yeah. we find that a lot of people who are in their early thirties, forties, you know, even 90 year old are saying, I, I want to explore this opportunity of me. And, uh, so, you know, we're, uh, we find it all age groups. It just pragmatically, we're looking at trying to stir the pot with uh, the younger people. So where do you start? Uh, well, we think it, we, you know, nonprofits, again, are interesting because you can't go into a bank and just say, hey, I'd like to volunteer here. So there are ways you can touch your, put your toe in the water on issues, on uh, organizations. You can go get involved. And uh, that's a great way for somebody to get involved, especially mid-career people can join a board. And, um, a lot of talent gets recruited out of boards, especially at the senior level, and into the organization. Um, so it's an opportunity that people can really test before they buy um, in terms of getting engaged that way. Um, you know, so that's one factor. The second factor is there's more and more education being uh, presented. Service learning is broadly available in many high schools and colleges, and if it's done well, it's a it can be very, very powerful experience uh, versus the idea of saying, oh, gosh, I've got to do this 20 hours of service, and I never did anything to get into trouble. You know, a notion of saying, hey, this is an expectation for me to really um, get engaged in the community and learn some things here. So that's a second factor. And third is more and more schools are offering coursework on this topic, civil society or nonprofit management, so there's ways to discover it that way. And then, of course, read the book. It's a cheap way. I mean, you can get it on Amazon ebook for about 10 bucks. That's mm-hmm. so a heck of a way to get in, in um, you know, interest and intelligence on that. What would you say to somebody who doesn't view work in the way that you're describing it, who really looks at work as maybe a function to make money to pay their bills and that their other interests outside of that are going to be the things that fulfill and satisfy them? Well, I think that's uh, perfect. I just uh, um, worked with a group of VISTA volunteers that are part of the AmeriCorps, kind of the Peace Corps for domestic yesterday. And there was a woman who was in her late 50s or 60s who was a, you know, had worked in retail, and uh, she joined VISTA in order to test out the idea of saying, gosh, I, I really don't just want to make money. I'd like to, do, like to make a living and make a difference. That's the tagline for the book. But what, I mean, I, my question was more, what if you don't feel that way? I mean, what what if you feel oh, that? Oh, and there are plenty of people that are that way, and there's nothing against them. I, you know, if I'm uh, on Wall Street or if I'm selling something, um, I, and money is what is a fascination to me. Or, for that matter, if I'm involved as a you know, person that's a mortgage banker and I'm helping people, with mortgages, I'm doing something worthwhile. So we're not trying to diminish the value of any work. It's just that there is work out there that is more oriented in meaning, and for people that are yearning for that, that's what we wrote the book for. What do you think about somebody that runs a hedge fund that gives away a lot of money to charity? Well, I think that's great. In fact, there's a great TED Talk by Dan Pelota that speaks to that notion of saying, you can do a lot of great things in life, and look at Bill Gates and shoot um, 
And the guy has done remarkable things because he used his entrepreneurial skills to generate wealth. And he's using that wealth to generate action. But who the heck is doing the action? It's people that are working in the, where um, Bill Gates has provided the fuel. But he doesn't carry the water. They do. Mm-hmm. And that's the job. So, no, nothing against bring on Bill Gates into the world. We need more philanthropists. But we also need the people that actually carry the work out that are remarkable in their own right. And that's the thing that Alexandra and I have been able to be see. We've met thousands of people, and you just, our chins drop all the time, how incredible they are, how capable they are. And it's kind of this fascination of saying we see joy, purpose, compensation, uh, fulfillment, and then we go and teach high school and college, and, and they're kind of going, oh, geez, I want to do something more and just make money in life. And, well, what about these jobs? And they kind of scratch their heads. But that's part of the reason we just want to create the bridge between the two. Just a couple of other questions. Are there any other, in all these interviews that you did with people, are there any particular jobs, any segments that you would say, in hearing the people talk about them, that they're is more satisfaction than others? No, I, I never could calibrate it that way, or we couldn't calibrate it that way. I think part of it is a matter that says if you're involved in an environmental organization, and that's what really uh, creates, a, you know, it's your cause. It's something that you deeply care about. Then you're working on something that uh, is a, uh, close to your heart. And so, no, I don't think, yeah, there are some, people that go into organizations and say, my supervisor stinks, or I got into this organization, it's a bureaucratic organization. One of our interviewees is the head of grant makers for effective organizations. She worked in a, a large nonprofit, felt that it was asleep at the switch, had a bad taste in her mouth, just happened to uh, land in an entrepreneurial organization, the next one, and it was by luck, and she just came on fire and saw the potential. So it's not that, um, you know, old institutional uh, nonprofits aren't good. A lot of them are remaking themselves now. But it's a matter of, you know, just like any business, I can take on, you know, 100 businesses and 10 of them are going to be exceptional at working. It doesn't matter what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. I can trace back probably my oldest friend to sixth grade. You can go back to third grade here. So what did Joyce Kobayashi wind up doing for a living? She's a shrink. <laughs> um, she works with Denver Health, and uh, she focuses in on psychiatry for HIV uh, AIDS. And um, so she had dedicated herself to a meaningful career for certain. Wow, I'll say. Gee whiz. I was her first client. Yeah, uh, that was our first case study, I'd say. What do you mean by that? Oh, I think she pulled me out of uh, doldrums and helped me uh, find meaning, and it was kind of cool. Okay, I mean, we're talking way back in third grade? Yeah. Okay, all right, wow. No, I just, honestly, if you think about it, what a lot of times this comes alive. When our interviews, we were showing that um, many of the people, Jane Goodall, Tutu, Where'd you get started? Well, family, friends, um, about 10 or 11 years old, I got involved in my first thing. And for me, it was UNICEF. I really, really never thought about kids around the world and being in poverty. 
what it's like not to be fed. And so, yeah, the little bit of gesture that I did in raising money for them was very, uh, it was educational, it was inspiring, um, and the organization, I thought, really was responsive to me as a young person. So, yeah, I got hooked. Mm-hmm. And I got to attribute it to my parents. They were very, you know, they weren't involved in nonprofits that didn't work, but they were very community-minded people. Okay, but your motivation initially was to hang out with, with Joyce here. So at what point did you have this sort of aha moment that UNICEF was more than just about an orange box and you getting to, you know, try to hold somebody's hand? They were very responsive and they still are in terms of, it, of what it means to get involved with them. And um, so they communicate well. They, they thanked me. They thanked other people. They kept us alert and informed. Huh. Uh, they helped us understand the value of what we were doing. And so that, I think, is uh, the formula that any organization has to do. How did they thank you? I mean, I did the same thing as a kid growing up. I don't remember anybody thanking me. Well, you know, I think uh, it's a matter that, um, it you know, not all organizations are as good as, you know, that's the thing. Choice is great within the business world or same thing with nonprofits. There are some ones that are asleep at the switch and not as responsive. Don't do with them. You know, get where you now there's an organization we work with in Denver that they get volunteers to go out and help build things with fifty to seventy nonprofits. And they said, Well, half the time the, you know, nobody's there with a pizza and a thank you and the board doesn't say, Hey, we really appreciate you building the playground for us uh, for our school here and I go well there's a remedy to that don't go back to those places just go to the ones that are appreciative and do help you understand the value of your contribution so I you know people vote on their jobs with their feet they typically don't want to work in a place that sucks and they shouldn't volunteer in one or contribute to one that does either so um, thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to mention I didn't ask you? Well, we'd love to have people check out our website. It's um, Because it's got more information, it's got the assessment on it that's free. It's www.compassionatecareersthebook.org. And, of course, it, uh, we're available in independent bookstores and uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon. So we'd love to have people pick it up and let us know what they think. Thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. It's a great interview. Jeff Pryor is one of the co-authors of Compassionate Careers. And as you heard him mention, the website is uh, Compassionate Careers, the book. All that's all one word, CompassionateCareersTheBook.org. We'll take your calls the rest of the way. What's on your mind out there this morning? 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free 877-291-8255. Any um, thoughts about the recently concluded legislative session now that you've had a little bit of time to think about it? Maybe uh, you have some thoughts and comments on Bernie Sanders' run for president. And uh, as I mentioned, a couple of interesting environmental stories, including this god-awful oil spill off of Santa Barbara. We'll uh, take a quick break. We'll be back after these important announcements. Strongsville. That's the strong.